far as the deal is uh, concerned, you know, I give uh, Masai and, and Bobby credit for their communication throughout the process. That kind of led us to the point of uh, today in terms of Pascal being moved to uh, the Pacers. All right, a spicy one on the fan pregame tonight. SportsCenter, SportsCenter 590, the fan. we got three guests for you in the next hour, starting with Michael Grange in a few moments. Of course, Pascal Siakam traded to the Indiana Pacers earlier today for three first-round picks of Bruce Brown. Michael Grange will help us break it all down. Oh, that rhymed. just nice. Uh, Raptors also in action tonight, of course, facing Kyle Lowry in the Miami Heat. That's at 7.30 on Sportsnet 1. We'll get you all teed up for that. We're also going to bookend the show with Tim Bontemps of ESPN uh, to maybe get more of the Pacers' perspective on it at the end. Um, On Sportsnet tonight, we've got Habs and Devils at 7 p.m. New Jersey, two points out of a wildcard spot. And the meat of the show in between uh, the bookends, approaching big UFC 297 uh, this weekend on Saturday, which we're going to be at officially. We're excited. We've got legend Bruce Buffer joining us at 630. Uh, You can catch a replay of the first ever UFC fight held in Ontario on Sportsnet 360 this evening, uh, UFC 129, which was an iconic one. And we're going to hear from the iconic voice, Bruce Buffer himself. So lots to come in this one hour show. Let's kick things off with Michael Grange, though, not keep him waiting any longer. He's been grinding. Grange, appreciate you jumping on with us. Hey, happy to do it, Dallas. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Uh, you know, it's been a couple hours, so we're unpacking um, what was uh, the uh, the Pascal Siakam trade. So three firsts in Bruce Brown. I, I guess let's start with, you know, was this the best that the Raptors were going to get for it to come to fruition before the trade deadline and before allowing Pascal Siakam um, possibly to walk this offseason? Um, I think you got to just sort of give the benefit of the doubt to the people who are fielding the offers and uh, kind of assume that, yeah, this is the best that was out there. And, and, you know, then you can kind of, you know, move on to a discussion of should it have been and, and, you know, maybe the timing and how it all went down. But I think, you know, the, what was emerging and, and that kind of written as much and others had written as much is, is there's just a bunch of factors at work against, you know, the Raptors really kind of emerging from this with, what you would look at as going, wow, this is a great haul for a great player. And, um, you know, and, and, and instead you've kind of got, like, a, Bruce Brown's a good player for sure, and, and, you know, you've got some bits and pieces in there. But, you know, when you're trading a two-time All-NBA player who's in his prime, who's, um, you know, top five in scoring and assists and won you a title, um, you know, you're hoping maybe for something where you can kind of hold it up and go, wow, look, you know, this was tough, but look what we got. And, um, you know, the draft picks, as I'm sure you guys have discussed, are a little underwhelming, right? Like they're, you know, right now I think they're looking like they'd be about 27th, uh, 20th. And uh, those are the two picks they're getting in a future in 2026, um, which might end up being the best one in the whole draft if it's unprotected in all things. It's unprotected. And, uh, you know, and keep in mind this is a draft that the Raptors actively traded out of a year ago in the Pascal Siakam deal, so, or sorry, the Siakam Pirtle deal. So, um, you know, yeah, I guess this was the best that was out there, but this, there's a lot of factors working against them getting, getting you know, a turn that I think would really shine. Yeah, if you're going to do the hindsight thing, which I do think is fair, I, I do also think it's fair that you take this entire trade period in, into consideration here uh, and the OG trade, like pairing these together and what they did. And I, and I kind of feel like, 
okay, they were they were happy with the OG trade. Obviously, they got a guy like Emmanuel quickly. I feel like that might have made it more palatable for the Raptors to go after the draft picks for the Siakam return. Do you see it that way where it's like, okay, we went in here with these two assets. We really wanted to support Scotty Barnes, and we couldn't do that with just draft picks. But since we got quickly, we can do this trade for draft picks. I wouldn't. I would really wouldn't look at it that way. I think if, if like the draft picks are nice, um, but again, they're they're you know first round picks come in varying values, right? And and right now you're looking at mid to late first in like a university of flame dad's week draft. So mm. you know, look, they're nice to be had. And as you know, I pointed out, and this is like Nikola Jokic was taken 41st overall, right? Like I mean, there's great players in every single draft. It never fails. And, you know, if you're looking at this on the bright side, the Raptors have multiple chances to find that one guy. Um, I think, you know, the, that the quickly return was good. And, you know, they, they, the circumstance that created that deal worked in their favor. But I think what happened here is, um, you know, I think the market for Siakam was a little bit more limited. He's a slightly different kind of player. I think the fact that he was looking for, you know, a full max and, you know, his representation weren't, didn't, you know, there was no obligation on their part to sort of try and make things easier. Um, the market and the market was kind of drying up a little bit from that point of view. And then just the larger picture with the, the new CBA and much more restrictive uh, penalties on big spending teams uh, coming. Uh, in the, I think that, that that in general had cooled the market. And so, you know, those were the forces the Raptors were, were, were fighting against. But I think, you know, to say that they were kind of, okay, well, we got two good players for OG Ananobi, Arlen, and the defender, we can maybe look to futures, um, you know, when we trade our All-NBA forward. I don't know if that really washes. I think it would be a different conversation if this was a really good draft and you had, you know, multiple unprotected picks or you had, you know, multiple unprotected picks going forward and, and all that. And I would also say if you were a team that was trying to rebuild and, you know, the Raptors – you know, they don't want to rebuild. They, 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 they've kind of made that pretty clear at various times. So um, I just think that they were kind of in a position where this is what was available. And, you know, the offers were, you know, the risk was if you waited, the offers got worse. Yeah, and to your point, even if it's currency they were after, I mean, the currency is the currency. And this is, as you mentioned, uh, not the strongest of drafts coming up here. Uh, Grange, what do you expect them to do with Bruce Brown? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to kind of really uh, kind of, dig into that one i mean i think he's a player that you, you can trade him you can't aggregate him in a trade but he's still trade eligible between now and february uh 8th so you know he, he could be on the move he would be the kind of player that would he's won a title as we know last year he's the kind of player that could could help uh, i think a number of teams um you know do you get another first for him I, i'd be a little surprised but you never know um the flip side is you know he's uh on a reasonable contract he is a player, I think, who philosophically fits in very well with what the Raptors want to do. He's a great off-ball player, good defender. Um, so if you end up having him on your roster, and he's pretty young too. He's only, I think, 27. So, um, you know, so it's, it's not like he's, he's somebody you can't work with um, and all of that. And, and, you know, you've, you've traded a guy who won a title, so you've added a guy who's got a, who's got a title. So that's always good to have in your room too. But, um, you know, what the specifics of that – I think it's fair to say, Justin, that the Raptors probably aren't done. Like, they have three more weeks, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of question marks in the air. So, um, you know, I think if there's a chance and, and it makes sense, and, and you know, I, I don't think there's any obligation on their part that they wouldn't trade them. 
We're chatting with Michael Grange of Sportsnet, of course, ahead of Raptors and Heat tonight at 7.30 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. Uh, I want to ask you a bit about the relationship between Masai or, or just the Raptors front office and Siakam and Siakam's agent. And for those that missed it, I know you were on the Raptors show a little earlier. They also had Siakam's agent on. So check that out on podcast because it was, uh, I guess, the initial response. And he's not going to speak ill um, of the relationship. But I wonder for you being around the team, knowing uh, the last couple years in general, was there a point where it started to deteriorate it's a bit of a strong word but started to shift in terms of maybe where the Raptors viewed Pascal Siakam how his agent viewed him and the idea that the max contract might not be something that they were offering uh, is there a timeline that you see more clearly now that uh, Pascal is no longer a Raptor I mean I think a, you know a fair way to put it would be um, you know I don't think there was friction or, or that it was a you know, there's a problematic relationship. I mean, all, everyone involved in that you touched on there are, you know, really top-end professionals. But, um, you know, I think really the crux of this comes down to, um, you know, the Raptors were, and almost all the way along, uh, certainly until very recently, were open and interested in, signing Pascal to a three-year deal worth 30% of the salary cap. That's what they offered him uh, last year before the season started. I think that's, and then where I think, you know, a shift occurred, if you want to put it that way, is, you know, uh, last year at the beginning of the season, they didn't want to take a 30% three-year extension, which I think was $125 million. They wanted to try and play the season out, ideally make All-NBA again. That qualifies you for a, a Supermax deal, which would have been 35%. And so all of a sudden you're in the, you know, you're up around uh, $200 million extension. It's a big difference. And, um, but I think even in that context, you know, the Raptors had kind of settled on, you know, they weren't barring Pascal Siakam kind of emerging as, a top five player in the NBA and leading the Raptors to a finals and that kind of thing. Um, they weren't really going to budge off 30% and they weren't really going to budge off three years. And so even I think this year when, uh, you know, the the 35% element was kind of removed from the equation, you know, they were still hoping for four years and, or maybe even five. And uh, that was not, you know, somewhere where the Raptors wanted to go. And so you've got a problem where, um, you know, the, the organization is valued as an important player in a specific way. And the player and his representation kind of, they think that they're worth more. And, you know, whenever that happens, uh, there's always going to be a kind of a disconnect. And sometimes it gets worked out. Other times it ends up leading to a trade. And I think we can clear what happened here. You spend a lot of time around this team, of course. Uh, did you notice a, a vibe shift or, or just an energy around the team over the last week or so, knowing that this was catching um, steam? And I guess secondary to that is what what's the goal now before the February 8th tra- trade deadline? Because the team's going to look uh, a little bit shorthanded, to say the least. Uh, they got a big task tonight and tomorrow, and you know it doesn't get easier from here. Uh, how do they approach this next stretch of games uh, without Pascal Siakam? Uh, they just got to play. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, what's really going to be interesting is, you know, the Raptors of the, the pick they traded for Jakob Pertl last year, last year's top six protected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now the Raptors have the sixth worst record in the league. So if the draft were tomorrow, they would pick six. And um, it's going to be hard, really hard to get to fifth, given how bad the other five teams in the league are, or the bottom five teams in the league are. But, you know, I think I wonder philosophically if they're, 
you know, right now of the picks they have available in the 2024 draft, by far the best one is their own. And so you just wonder if they're going to try and, you know, fight for a play-in and and make something of the year in that sense, or if they're just going to kind of raise the white flag and, and, uh, you know, see if they can at least salvage a high lottery pick or a mid-lottery pick out of this. Um, You know, and then I think a lot of that will be dictated by, um, you know, what happens with, you know, the other players. You talk about Bruce Brown, uh, Gary Trent Jr. is a player who's um, a pending free agent. Uh, You know, Dennis Schroeder, I'm sure, is a guy who could help a lot of teams that are trying to win. So, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts right now. And, um, you know, the short answer is we just don't know exactly what's going to happen. So it could have been Golden State, it could have been Sacramento, but instead it's Indiana and Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, how would you assess the fit here, Grange, for Pascal Siakam? And do the Pacers sort of satiate his needs? Do you expect him to stay, sign a max? Do you, do you think this works out uh, well for Pascal Siakam? I think the happiest people involved in all of this are going to be the Indiana Pacers. I mean, they've got a really good player who fits really well with their existing best player and I think the rest of the roster uh, for a guy who is like their seventh man, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, a, l- a little bit of draft capital. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing trade. I think it relieves them of a little pressure where even if something happens and Jackham can't reach an agreement with them in the summer, it's not like they had to sell the farm to do this. Um, I think I would predict, <laughs> right? Like, Siakam's going to go there. He's going to be starting, you know, he's going to get in 30 points without dribbling, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to go, This I like this. And it's a good team. There's six now. Like, they're only a game out of fourth or third. And one thing Pascal did say, you know, is he wants to play meaningful basketball, right? And all of a sudden he's doing that right away on a team that's pretty young. That's, I would say, on its upward trajectory. And, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, people say, well, people don't sign in Indiana. Well, you know, one thing about Pascal is, you know, he's he's about basketball. So I think if he's in a good, really good basketball environment, I'd be almost surprised if he doesn't end up signing in Indiana. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to have a pretty good place to play the rest of his time. So we'll see Pascal Siakam on Valentine's Day. On February 14th, he'll make his return to Scotiabank Arena. I guess that's a good time to reflect on some of the love that we do have for Pascal. I mean, the memories of his time here, the championship, top five in most Raptors stats and, and games played. Like, how do you begin to think about the impact he had as a Raptor and will have in this country when he's no longer a Toronto Raptor? I mean, he's look, He's he, to me, he's almost as quintessential as, Kyle or DeMar or, you know, obviously Kawhi's in a different, uh, mm. a little bit different category. But, you know, when I think of those teams and why they were so successful, uh, it's because they, this organization was able to find people of uh, great potential and great character and help them develop. And then also, you know, be fortunate that they were, had identified people whose drive to develop was second to none. And so you have a guy who was, taken 27th overall uh you know i played you know like there's a path i wrote a big feature about this a couple years ago i mean pascal siakam went from basically not playing basketball at age 16 Mm -hmm. to being second team all the nba by the time he's 25 like it's uh it's it's a staggering accomplishment i think one of the great things that's ever happened to the raptors and um you know you just hope that that as time moves on like you know, everyone can appreciate from all sides how uh, good a situation it was and 
and, uh, you know, what he contributed here. How much of Masai's, you know, uh, you know, empire and legacy that he's built here uh, not hinges on Pascal, but is defined by the Pascal Siakam uh, development and evolution and rise uh, to stardom? Uh, is this like the best or one of the best stories that Masai Ujiri uh, has written in his in his time with the Raptors and maybe the one that sort of best defines what he was able to bring to this organization? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of them, right? Like, I mean, we could have had that same conversation about Fred. I think OG had, uh, you know, would, would qualify in that respect. You know, Norm Powell in that respect. I mean, that's really, when you look at the team that won, the reason they won is from 2015 to 2018. They added, they had one of the best runs ever um, for a team without having the benefit of a lottery pick. Um, and uh, as, a result, as a result, they... They were able to be a 60-win team to win win a championship and uh, you know do things in the city that no one ever believed possible. So um, Pascal, I think you can make the case. You right symbolically represents you know he might be the ultimate symbol of that. And uh, you know it's it's going to be a long time. Hopefully not a long time, <laughs> but it, it might be a long time before you have someone else who kind of follows that path. Raptors take on Miami in about an hour and 15 minutes. Grange, I don't think this will be distracting at all. I think they'll be uh, totally ready to play a basketball basketball game. Uh, Who knows? Maybe it'll invigorate them to get a win uh, against Kyle Lowry and the Miami Heat. We appreciate you jumping on today. Busy day for you. Uh, Love to chat about it, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Great. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks so much. That's Michael Grange, of course, of Sportsnet. Um, Yeah, Raptors take on the Heat tonight. There's no time to be too reflective. We, we can take a little bit of time, though, because we got uh, a bit of an interesting week, right? So Pascal Siakam, no longer a Raptor, not officially yet, uh, but will be um, probably quite soon. Uh, Kyle Lowry tonight, DeMar mm-hmm. DeRozan tomorrow night, OG on Saturday. Uh, it's an interesting week of... That's an amazing, that's an amazing run. It yeah. is. It, it's just, and obviously it didn't happen on purpose, but it gives you a look into the past and to... Uh, teams that were players that were a part of this Raptors run at times. And I mean, Pascal Siakam is, is, as you said it, like maybe one of the best success stories in the NBA, the way that he like rose to stardom against all odds, uh, a very unique background was playing at New Mexico state. Like he didn't start basketball until he was almost an adult or a teenager at that point. 16, 17. yeah. Yeah. And, and look what he did. He's going to leave the Toronto Raptors uh, fifth in most games played, fifth in points, third in rebounds, fifth in assists, fifth in double-doubles, second in triple-doubles, and third in combined regular season wins and in postseason wins too. Like he, he's been a heart and soul of this team for an extremely long time. Of course, was an NBA champion, a two-time All-Star, a two-time All-NBA player, and I have like nothing but respect and appreciation for the grind that it took for him to get to this point. Yeah, with all due respect to Grange, who has forgotten more about the Raptors than I know, I separate Siakam from Fred and from Norm mm. uh, and anyone else you really want to lump in. Like I think through the prism of Pascal Siakam, you you saw the best in Masai Ujiri, the eye for talent, mm-hmm. 27th overall New Mexico, uh, showing attentiveness where others weren't paying attention a willingness to like not look at Duke and North Carolina yeah, and to actually pay attention to someone who picked up a basketball first when they were 17 <laughs> years old to develop that player, to send him in the G League after he started with the Raptors that season. I think in some ways Masai Ujiri's reputation was, was staked on Pascal Siakam. 
Uh, and it's not all about Masai. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about Masai today, clearly, because he's the one that traded Siakam. But I think the best story that Masai Ujiri was able to write for himself was the Siakam story. And yeah. and yeah, he made the trade to get Kawhi Leonard, which ultimately is the reason why a championship came here. And he didn't trade Kyle Lowry, or at least held on. Uh, but I, I feel like the most quintessential Maasai thing was drafting and finding Siakam and, and developing, developing, excuse me, him into a superstar. And I think you can quibble with the return. Like, I'm not overly pleased. Like, I, I understand that you're kind of against a rock and a hard place at this point. I think you mm-hmm. waited too long. I think we can all agree on that. Um, those that are smarter than us certainly think so as well. And four, three first-round picks for someone that was going to walk is more than you got for Fred VanVleet. And those first-round picks, they might not be the best first-round picks, but we just talked about it. If you do have the believe and trust in Masai, maybe they can hit on one of them. Maybe they can be used for something else, right? And I, I love that Grange thinks that this isn't it because I hope it isn't it either. There's still moves to be made. But, you know, you are you are teetering into that, as, as he said, like a top six, what are the Raptors right now, bottom six or something, like in terms of what they could get for the, their draft picks. What, in terms of theirs? Like, it, what these picks could turn into. Could well, make a big Indiana, difference. Indiana's a good team, so, yeah. yeah and yeah, now they're course. going to get better, so yeah. their picks are going to get worse. So there's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I, mean, I, I don't think it's like skyrocket that no, they're no, going to no, be, no. oh, this is the best but team in the Eastern Conference now. They're getting Pascal But Seattle, sure, they're not going to get and worse. And he's going to look great with Tyrese Halliburton, and that team's fun, and they're fast. And, you know, I don't think the Raptors are going to be fun and fast from now on. Oh, so, Indiana's the team that's going to get to enjoy this. Exactly, but... The fact that you get something for someone that basically we were pretty sure was going to leave in the summer, you have to give a little bit of a, a positive boost for that. But they, were so, they have a lot of young talent. They have a lot of like upcoming players that you were like, oh, maybe you could have just thrown one of those guys in. And the Bruce Brown thing is interesting. I, I'm not sure if that's going to be a trade candidate or a piece that they try to shape around. I just I think I was just like, oh, we waited this long to get this Pascal Siakam trade and this is all we got. Yeah, I think the Raptors front office um, probably victim of trying to be mm-hmm. perfectionists here. Yeah, I see I, I think they probably took these two assets or saw actually all three assets, if you want to lump in Fred, uh, as guys or assets that were able to bring back something that you could turn into a superstar yourself. And I think they achieved that with the OG and OB trade. I think that's what they were trying to do with all three of those players. And it never came to fruition with Fred, and they lost him for nothing. And they managed it with OG Ananobi. Because we we talked about a whole year. OG can be had for three first-round picks. Mm-hmm. Like, that was out but there. But they went the route and it was, of it was going to be out there. And Masai promised it was going to be out there. Mm-hmm. So those deals were out there, I think. Probably more for Siakam, definitely more for Siakam, but under a similar sort of circumstance where it's a bunch of draft capital and be happy with that. Uh, but I really, really do think that with all these three... They were trying to support Scotty Barnes with known quantities. They pulled it off with OG. They got nothing for Fred, and they couldn't risk doing the same thing or having the same consequence uh, of the Fred situation with Siakam, and they just had to take what was out there. And what was out there? What was, was, what was out there before? Just a bunch of draft picks. Mm-hmm. And finally, they had to bite the bullet on this one to ensure that they didn't just let another asset walk. The best thing um, about this, besides all of the draft picks coming in is now you you are building around scotty barnes and you have clearly defined that that's the direction you're going we don't have to and have you got someone you can be really happy and that's why i merge these like you can be really happy with quickly yeah. uh, i think I, we are I, that's definitely the most successful mm-hmm. part of this entire process and but now the direction is clear 
Yeah. And the 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 future, what you're building around, is clear. And we can we we've had to criticize the front office for the last two years about what are you going to do, which direction are you going, are you building, are you buying, are you selling? Is it Pascal? Is it Pascal and Scotty? Is one of them going to make the jump? Well, now you've pretty much set Scotty up for it's your team. Mm-hmm. It's you're the guy, and that was a question for so long. And I think that frustrated a lot of fans about pick a lane, like pick a direction, and that's what they did today. Um, whether there was the time needed to be now and that Indy was the only suitor or there, there's something to be done in the next couple of weeks. As we said, the trade deadline is until February 8th. So we do have some time. Uh, we'll take a quick break because we got legend Bruce Buffer on the other side. Let's tee up uh, UFC this weekend, which we're headed to. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what a legendary life that guy has. Very fun. Uh, that's next on the fan free game. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the man. Event of the evening, and now it is time. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable! Uh, you're back on the fan pregame, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan. We're a few days away from an exciting night for us here in the city of Toronto, UFC 297. We will be in the building. It will be my first chance to hear this man's voice in real life. And we got the, we were playing all the clips before the show, picking the right one. Uh, but what a treat it is to talk to Bruce Buffer, voice of the UFC joining us. Bruce, appreciate you coming on. Hi, my pleasure. Always a pleasure to come on. You're not in the city of Toronto yet, it looks like. No, no, no. I'm, I'm finishing everything I have to do here. <laughs> and uh, I'll be heading out in the morning. Getting there tomorrow night, got meetings all day on Friday and, you know, the usual stuff before the show, media prep, show prep, all that kind of stuff. But all good. All right. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Okay, so we got Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffin, Gracie Liddell, GSB, Silva, and Bruce Buffer. Like, at an individual level, Bruce, your impact can be compared to really anyone who's been involved with the UFC. What does it mean to you to have such a strong influence on this sport and really helping establish it and thrust it into the mainstream? I appreciate all the kind words. Thank you very much. You know, I'm very humble about the whole thing, but all I can tell you is that when I wake up every morning and I put my feet on the ground, it's like I wear UFC on my chest and I'm just so proud to be the voice of the octagon and all the experience I've had because next month is 28 years that I've been doing this. And, um, you know, I plan on going another five, 10 years easy. Uh, it's just my passion for the sport and the way I announce and putting all my lung power, passion on the floor to, to announce these great warriors before they put their blood, sweat, and tears on the floor. It's an amazing event every night I walk in the octagon, whether it's at the apex in front of 300 or less people or in front of 20,000 people or God knows how many are showing up in Toronto, but I understand it's probably sold out and your Canadian fans are absolutely rabid. 20,000 sound like 100,000 and I can't wait to, to roar away for all of you. Well, at one point in Toronto, it was 55,000. Do you remember oh. uh, the big UFC event in Toronto? I believe UFC 129, uh, GSP, 55,000. Do you have any memories from that night? Oh, yeah, I remember it quite a bit because I blew my ACL in front of 55,000 oh, people that night really? announcing George St. Pierre. Wow. 
Yeah, I was at a poker tournament the previous week. And if we go over the, the 10 minutes or whatever, don't worry about it. I was at the um, <laughs> poker tournament the previous week and I rolled my ankle when I got up for a break and a dip in the carpet and it filled up with blood and I, and I had to go have it all drained the next day and I couldn't walk on my leg. I couldn't walk for a week. Finally, Thursday, I could walk and I got I managed to get to the airport. I was on crutches all week and I get in the octagon, I jump, I turn, I do everything I love to do. And then when George came time to introduce George, um, he always lunges out when I say his name and I went, George, rush. And he lunged out. And when he lunged out, I, I bunny hopped back a foot and a half or so like I normally do. And my ankle wobbled and my knee exploded and I severed my ACL, <laughs> but oh I didn't fall. <laughs> oh my goodness. Good thing that was the main event. Yeah, that's true. You didn't have too much after that. Uh, well, we wish you more of a safe uh, journey into Scotiabank arena this time around. Probably won't oh, be 55,000, but it will be loud. It will be very fun. Uh, we're looking forward to it. It'll be as it. loud as 55,000 people, I guarantee you. Yeah, so the Canadian uh, the Canadian fans, we don't get many of these opportunities. This is going to be a huge one. It's my first time, Justin's second time, so lots to learn, uh, lots to be excited about. Um, so you, you so did... I have to roar extra loud for you. Hey, yeah, look for it. me up in there. We'll be somewhere, and I'll, I'll be screaming. Um, so I, I guess you didn't protect uh, your knee, but how do you protect your voice? Because we talk, you know, only an hour a day um, on the radio, but you have, like, the moment that you get really deep into it um, and you got to deliver, like what's your process prepping for all this? What's your process? You know, are you, uh, are you getting tea and honey? Like how do you keep this thing the way it is? Uh, you know, Hall's metholiptus, um, you know, lozenges on the, mm-hmm. on the table, fresh honey. That's really a key factor right there. A little tea when needed. The bottom line is don't abuse. I don't smoke. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's not an issue. And, um, just take care of it. Just stay healthy. You know, I'm just, I've always been an athlete. I've always been healthy and I try to take the best care of myself I can. Listen, I've done this show, whether it's a severed ACL, but I've done the <laughs> show with a 103 degree temperature, blown out back, mm-hmm. um, off laryngitis literally that morning. Uh, but I don't complain about a thing. I don't tell anybody anything. I get in there, do my job because these warriors are putting their lives mm-hmm. on the line. I can always get the announcing done. All right, Bruce, it's time. We talk about it's time. I understand there's a cologne called It's Time, which I may have to wear to the event yeah, you need uh, this weekend. <laughs> but that, that is your trademark, right? Like if everyone knows your line, mm-hmm. it's it's time. Uh, when you first scribbled that down on a piece of paper or jotted it down on a laptop, did you know that you had gold there? No, you know what I used to do? I'd wake up every morning and I still do. I'd look in the mirror before or after I shave and I go, it's time to have the best day possible. It's time to be the best I can be. And I was never phrase driven because my legendary brother, Michael Buffer, with his great phrase, let's get ready to rumble, which I've been the manager of for 30 years. Um, everybody wanted to copy him. And I thought, I don't want to be Frank Sinatra Jr. I don't want to come in there and be compared. I want to create mm-hmm. my own style. So I never had a trademark phrase. Uh, it was about seven years in that I started realizing people have been sitting in the audience for five hours. The fighters have trained for eight to ten weeks for this grandiose moment of the main event. It's time. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's come to this key moment in life. Bam. So I started going the it's time then. And over a course of years, it uh, went through an evolutionary process where it just got to the point where I'm jumping and I'm roaring and I'm you know, throwing all that out there. I never know what I'm going to do till I get in there and do it. I don't rehearse. I don't get in the shower and go, you know, Chuck Liddell. You know, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I make sure I know how to say the names. I get in. I want to be organic. I want to feel the, the energy from the crowd and then roar away for them and take the, take the fans because the show's not about me. It's about the fans and the fighters, fighters and the fans. I want to take the fighters and the fans to the next level far beyond the level they're already at.
And that's my job. That's what I want to do. You mentioned George would lunge out at you a little bit. I mean, the interactions with fighters while you're introducing them, I think that's something that's really, really grown, at least recently. I think more guys are doing it. You see fist bumps with, you know, I'd say 50 to 75% of the guys are ready to interact with you and wanting to. Did that start with George? Like, who was the first guy to kind of involve themselves in your introduction? No, it actually started with a fighter um, out of Florida that we did the fist bump. And pardon me if I'm brain farting right now on the name, but then it graduated to the point where other fighters would just go like this, or they'd come up and they put their head to my head, you know, <laughs> want to get in close. They want to feel the whole oomph, you know, and the bottom line is, is when I'm announcing my eyes on the eye of the tiger, male or female, and they allow me to get in their space, which is an honor to begin with, because, you know, they're not going to let anybody just walk into their space is their moment. But I know what it's like to fight. I know what it's like to throw down. And I want to make sure that I give them every bit of passion and power I can to take them to that next level. And it's a complete honor if they want. I never instigate the fist bump. That's them to me, not me to them. So they want a fist bump, they got it. They want a head bump, they got it. They want a body bump, they got Whatever they want, they got. They're there to perform for us and I'm there to perform for them. So it's 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 a wonderful thing. By the way, if I may just say... Um, my It's Time cologne has been the top-selling cologne on Amazon now for months, uh, and I'm very, very proud of it. It's available in about 40 countries, but it's in Canada. You can get it on Amazon. It's coming in the stores uh, in Canada over the next three to six months. It'll be everywhere. I'm already on Amazon, and it's in the car. And, and I'm wearing it Saturday night. Because it's I happening. need it to get to Justin. <laughs> they're, they're next day, so, like, you'll be there wearing you I'll it be, I'll, be, I'll be all set. You'll be able to Glad smell us Wednesday, in the I'm not trying to get you to spend money, but I appreciate it. Thank oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so we're talking about some of, like, you know, the really exciting parts of your job. What's the hardest part of your job? Is there ever a moment where you're like, mm, this is this is tough. I got a bad decision, or I got something I need to, to announce, or, or a difficult moment, a crowd that you really got to, like, try to work with that aren't there? Is there a hard part? I know you're going to gloss over because, you know, the fighters are the ones doing the hard thing. But for you, there's going to be something that's challenging. The hardest part of my job is the travel before I ever get foot in the arena. Mm. That's the hardest part of the job. When I've got to go to Saudi Arabia for 30 hours of flying, come back and then head over <laughs> to New York or Mexico City the very next week. That's the hardest part. As far as on show night is concerned, I'm having so much fun. I'm enjoying. I'm still passionate about what I do. Um Sure, I've stood over the judge's table on the first one to know the decision, and uh, I got to hold my face sometimes and hold myself back. It's like, what are they were looking at? You know, you got a split decision. It's 30-27 for the other fighter and then 29-28 for the other fighter. It's like, what fight were they watching? You know, or instances, those kind of things happen. But there's nothing tough on fight night. It's, uh, I mean, it, it... it's eight hours of work. It's what I do. I have absolutely nothing to complain about, but I love every mono, so I can't really complain about a thing. What makes the best crowd, Bruce? Because we're going to be in the crowd, mm. uh, and we want to make sure we're a, a positive <laughs> part of the experience uh, for Spelling you and good. everyone else. Like, what? <laughs> what is what? When do you know a crowd's going to be great, and what defines a great crowd for you? You know, every city, every country has its own flavor, and they're all great in their own respect. I mean, Brazil stands out. UK stands out. The fight fans are just amazing there. Uh, Montreal, Toronto, Canada as a whole. It's all about energy. The more energy I feel coming from the crowd, the fact when they show up early to see the fights from the first fight of the night to the end of the night. You know, like in Vegas, sometimes it doesn't fill up till mid-fight. That's Vegas. That's just a routine. You go to some countries and that place is two-thirds full and then completely full by the time the middle of the show comes along. So it's all about the energy that they're putting forth, um, the excitement that they're giving when their fighters walk out. 
And I'm completely humbled sometimes because, again, I'm not fighting. And, again, I'll say it again. The show's not about me. I'm there to enhance everything I can. But when I walk out and I get an ovation, it's like, wow, it brings tears to my eyes, man. It's been like 28 years, and every night's a new night. And I feel that same emotion every night. And all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it makes all these years worthwhile, you know. Last one for you, Bruce. Do you have a favorite all-time UFC moment, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it involves you or – whether it involves a fight or a fighter, uh, do you have something that's top of mind when you think back at all the years you've been involved in, UFC, in the UFC? Excuse me. You know, there's so many grandiose moments, Justin, that it's very hard to pick one. It's like asking me who my favorite fighter is or my favorite fight was, but I can always give examples. But one example that will always stand out was when we were about to go out of business, when Dana the Predators took it over and they created the Ultimate Fighter you know, uh, show. And the first season culminated into the main event with Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin, which was an amazing fight, drew a 15 share on TV in the United States at that moment. And he handed out a, a contract to Stephen Bonner as well as to the one who won, which was Forrest. Um, but that was such a grandiose moment that I knew at that point where the ultimate fighter was was getting the UFC back in the front of eyeballs because we were having a problem being on TV at that time. I knew at that point that we were about to explode. And that's that's one of the favorite favorite nights. I can go on and on. I can tell you so many. You know, the <laughs> night we went back to Brazil for the first time after six years, or uh, there's just there's just so many, so so many. Uh, and there's going to be more moments this weekend. Nine Canadians, you're going to announce. Uh, we're going to be cage side. We're looking forward to it. We can't wait for the pirouettes. We can't wait for your performance, be and safe. of course the performance <laughs> of the fighters, uh, Bruce. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you so much. And can I thank everybody in Canada, too, if I may just do a little uh, show plug? One of the favorite things I love to do for the fans is I do videos and audios of championship introductions, weddings, birthdays, birth of babies, you name it. I'm I'm, uh, one of the top ten on Cameo for doing those, but they write my offices at brucebuffer.com. And, you know, granted, i got to charge a few shekels for it, but I give away to charities and stuff like that, partial proceeds. And it just makes my partner, Kristen, and I so happy. I must do five to ten weddings a week and to be part of somebody's special day. That's another thing I absolutely love, which is an extension of my job in the, in the, in the octagon. Um, I just like making people happy. So keep them coming. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep making you happy all day long. Bruce, I'm getting married this year, so uh, stay tuned. Maybe I'll send Might you an email. Might be my wedding gift. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Are you Ailey? I am. So, you know, we'll, we'll connect on the road. <laughs> and now, walking down the <laughs> aisle of love forever. There Presenting, go. you got it. Oh, oh yeah. Just cut that. The full one's coming. Yeah. The full one's coming. Uh, this has been a blast. Uh, looking forward to seeing it all for the first time on Saturday myself. Justin will be there as well. So uh, safe travels up here and have a, have an absolute blast. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Pressure's on. I'll roll her extra loud for you. I there you I go. Promise. All the great Canadians. I love Canada, man. I can't wait to get there. <laughs> we'll see you soon, Bruce. Thanks, Appreciate Bruce. it. Uh, that's Bruce Thank Buffer, uh, voice of the UFC, of course. Whew. Ready to run through a brick wall. <laughs> I thought you were getting it for free there, the whole thing. That was a tease. That's, that's how you do that's it. Good. Now you got to pay the big money, right? Makes sense. Uh, let, let's talk to Tim Bontemps, NBA writer for ESPN. We'll get back into the news of the day, of course. Pascal Siakam traded uh, to the Indiana Pacers. Tim, we appreciate you jumping on. It's been a busy day, I'm sure, for you and us up here as well, um, unpacking all the trade stuff. So let's just start with the broad question. Like, did the Raps do the best that they could with the situation, with the timeline, and with an expiring uh, Pascal Siakam? I think you could say the Raptors did well with the situation they put themselves in. I, I would also say that I think this is a decision they probably should have made 
sooner and therefore probably would have gotten more sooner. But I think given the fact that there wasn't a seemingly robust market for Pascal, given that it did not seem like they were interested in signing him to a long-term deal, the fact that they were able to end up with expiring money and three firsts of varying value, I think is a solid outcome for them. But, you know, it also, I think, could have gone differently if they'd been a little more proactive in how they chose to go about going through this entire process, but we've been seeing that for quite a while. So in the end, you know, this team after the OG trade very clearly was going to be oriented around Scotty Barnes and Emmanuel quickly moving forward. And the fact that they moved off for Pascal the way they have set themselves up the way they have with three first round picks over the next three years and now three picks in this year's draft, assuming, well, at least two picks in this year's draft, I should say. Um, it puts them in a position where they uh, they're going to be able to build around those young guys, and and we'll see now what Masai Jerry and Bobby Webster and the Raptors front office can do with those picks and young players. Uh, did getting quickly, in your estimation, kind of change uh, what the acceptable outcome would be for the for the Pascal Siakam trade? Because I, I do think they really, really were wary of putting Scotty Barnes on an island. And I guess with Quickly and I guess with Barrett, he's not on an island and therefore maybe it was a little bit more palatable grabbing those picks or is this just a case of, hey, they did the best they could uh, given the circumstance that, as you mentioned, they put themselves in? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I mean, obviously it's better to have a combination of young players and draft picks than just, you know, if they gotten you know, expiring picks, expiring contracts and six draft picks, right? There's not as much present day help for, um, for Scotty in that situation. But I think when you look at the, the overall, um, the overall market, I think, you know, ultimately, I think you look at them as separate deals. And to me, what the OG trade really showed you was that the Raptors are going to trade Pascal Siakam, right? Mm-hmm. And like they had decided that Scotty Barnes was the guy they were going to build around. And, you know, if they would gotten some overwhelming pick call for OG Ananobi and they'd done that instead, I don't think you wouldn't necessarily look at their situation differently. You'd still say that they, the overall goal was the same. I think by getting Emmanuel quickly, what you did was you found a guy that in theory should be a really good long-term fit with Scotty Barnes, which is what you ultimately get these draft picks to do right? You're, you're trying to either use those to go get players or go draft trade for players or draft players that are going to fit with the guy you're building with. So in the one trade, they get a lead, a lead ball handler for the future, who is a great stylist and fit with their young star. The other trade, they get a bunch of trade assets where they are a bunch of draft assets that they can use to add some more youth to the roster as they, they go in that direction moving forward. So I think it sort of goes hand in hand with the way the two deals worked out. And they also received Bruce Brown in the deal. And I wonder for you, is that someone you see, you know, fitting with this Raptors roster and timeline right now? Is that someone that might uh, be of a trade value package as they approach the trade deadline? What what do you think they'll do with Bruce Brown? I mean, I think it's a situation that I think you could see go either way. And it sort of depends, I think, on what the overall plan is for the Raptors over the next few months, right? I mean, Bruce has a, a large contract with a team option for next year. So it can operate as an expiring deal now or, or whether the Raptors or somebody else want to have them next year, they can also turn it into an expiring deal for next year, um, which as a good player, an expiring deal, you could use that in a lot of different ways, whether you want to just have them on your team 
or use him as a trade piece. Um, you know, between Gary Trent and Bruce Brown, they've got a couple, you know, wing players on big expiring deals that, in theory, I would think that some contending teams would be interested in having, uh, which could allow them to get some more draft capital. And you've already got Brady Dick and R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly in the backcourt anyway. So it wouldn't stun me if they went that direction and try to get some more draft assets or different young players or whatever in a deal. Um, you just saw Bruce Brown play really well for Denver deep into the playoffs, helped them win a title last year. He's a, he's a guy that I would think contending teams would be interested in. But if that, I think, sort of depends on what the plan is for the Raptors and how they view um, – how they view Bruce Brown as part of their, you know, medium, short to medium term future. And, you know, the, the nice thing about the situation they're in is after the, the two big moves they've made, they now have a lot of flexibility to go in many different directions with these other guys on the roster. And, you know, Bruce is probably going to be one of the more interesting guys to watch me now in the deadline to see what's around outside to do with him. How would you assess the landing spot for Pascal Siakam? Obviously, he's going to get to pair with Tyrese Halliburton, one of the rising stars Mm. in the league. The Pacers are a good, exciting team that score 150 points a a night. Do you think he's going to mesh well with that group? And does it satiate his needs uh, or does it poise to satiate his needs from a financial perspective? Yeah, I think it's a good, I think it's a really good situation for Pascal. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is a super fun guy to play with. As you mentioned, they play really fast. They've been starting OG, OB, OB Toppin or Aaron Neesmith at power forward. Pascal's far better than either of them. He's obviously an all-star caliber player. You know, they're going to get a lot better having him on the court. Having him next to a shooting center and Miles Turner, I think, helps. They didn't really have anybody but Tyrese that could handle the ball and create offense. As you guys know, Pascal's very good at that. So I like the fit stylistically. I like the fit personality-wise. Rick Carlisle is a great coach. Um I think Pascal is going to get a chance to really do his thing there. And I, I think if you're looking at teams that needed a guy like Pascal and for fits for him, I think it checks a lot of boxes. And I think it's got a chance to be a really good move uh, for both him personally and Indiana as a team. I'm excited to see how it looks once they get Pascal on the court and once they get Tyrese Halliburton on the court again here soon after he's missed the last couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. Was was Indiana always the best fit, or is there a team that's that that may live to regret not chasing Pascal Siakam? No, I mean, I, I, Indiana has been talked about for a long time as a as a logical landing spot, and it, it's sort of obvious why. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot of salary on their books. They have a pretty obvious need at the position, and for Pascal's skill set, and you know, with Tyrese Halliburton becoming one of the top ten or fifteen players in the league, like it. You know, it was imperative for them to find a running mate for him. And Pascal certainly is is a very good one and one that fits the way they play and fits their positional needs on their roster. So, yeah, I don't think there's a, a much better option out there uh, for either side, either for Pascal to go somewhere for, um, or for them to go get. And I, like I said, I think it's going to be a fun fit. And for Raptors fans that – you know, might not have watched them much. I tell everybody that's a, a casual NBA fan that um, I talk to to watch Pacers games. Mm. Like, they're a super fun team to watch. We saw them go to the in-season tournament championship game. Tyrese Albert is one of the most fun players to watch in the whole league. And I think Pascal's going to be a really good fit there and should be a lot of fun to watch them put up, like you said, 130, 140, <laughs> 150 on a regular basis. 
Yeah, they got a good one in Pascal Siakam. We'll miss him here. And we're seeing Kyle Lowry tonight. So even more uh, blast from the past in terms of uh, Raptors that were loved. Uh, Tim, we appreciate your time tonight. Thanks so much for jumping on, helping us break it all down. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Tim Bontemps of ESPN. Uh, Raptors and Heat in about 30 minutes on Sportsnet One. I'm not sure it's like a perfect comparable, but Nazem Kadri getting traded to Colorado all those years ago, mm. it was, if you're a Toronto sports fan, you're like, well, at least I can cheer for him there, and I think he's going to have some success. Yeah. There. I'm not sure it's the same, but I think anyone who wants to cheer for Pascal, it's a fun well, if you team watch to an Indiana for. team, you, uh, yeah, you might be able to get behind that more than you get behind, you know, the Celtics mm-hmm. or the 76ers, although there's a connection there, or the Bucks. Uh, I, if you If you want a 1B or a 2B or a 2A, Maybe the Pacers are it. I would be buying stock in the Pacers if I was buying stock. Uh, Speaking of buying, we have 30 seconds uh, each to give you a pick for the night. I'm going with the homers parlay. Both the Toronto PWHL team and the Toronto Raptors desperately need a win. Okay. I think it's uh, not the most likely of things to happen, but if you want to do it, plus 380 to parlay those two up. And I'll be at the Madame Athletic Center in about... 10 minutes, so I want to see so those guys win. you're not going to do it. but I'm going to do it, suggest. but I'm just saying, like, cautiously, you know, okay. both teams need it. It's plus money for a reason. Okay, so what this trade signifies is, of course, it's Scotty Barnes' team full stop now. Uh, what better way to celebrate that than filling out the stat sheet? Mm. Barnes double-double, plus 210. Barnes triple-double, he's got two this okay. season. Plus 1,700. Maybe Barnes just goes off now that well, it's they, officially they work in tandem. his. You know, we need the PW team to get back on track. Or yeah, Toronto. We got Renata Fast on the show yesterday. Maybe she gets, you know, the fan pregame bump. I got a Renata anytime goal scorer. Okay, let's do that. Uh, <laughs> that was a fun one. Uh, Bruce Buffer was uh, hilarious. I can't wait to be there on Saturday night. We'll be back tomorrow on Baby Friday. Have a good night, everyone.